Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Troxels. I appreciate that. So we talk about remembering this season. We talk about remembering during this series. We've had opportunities to hear from a lot of different families and, and, and what we've done throughout Christmas. Um, hope you guys are doing well. Hope things are good. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for joining us online as well. Uh, I'm doing a little better uh, this week maybe than I was last week. If you, last week I mentioned that I was struggling with not having Christmas spirit. Right, you guys remember that? And a lot of you were very concerned about that, which kind of surprised me. Um, I feel like in some ways, based on people's reaction, the one thing, they, the one takeaway they had from last week's message was that Pastor Jay has no Christmas spirit because people were trying to encourage me. So I appreciate the love. I appreciate the encouragement over this past week. Uh, I definitely felt it. Uh, if it was something that you just didn't care about, I don't blame you because I probably wouldn't care about it either. Um, but at the same time, this past week, you'll be happy to know that I did get a little Christmas spirit. I felt it. It happened. It happened later than it typically does. Usually, like, by the time I'm done with Thanksgiving dinner, like, I'm ready for Christmas. And this past week, it started to kind of just creep on me this year. Usually, it just hits me. This year, it's creeping on me a little bit this year. So I've got my festive shirt on today, my Christmas shirt on. You can see that. And I'm actually ready to say Merry Christmas to you guys. So that's a good thing. It's exciting. I'm excited for that this morning. And yeah, thank you, Sherry. Appreciate that. (laughs) Sherry cares. She cares. I appreciate that. But really, the reason I made that point was not so you guys could feel bad for me in any way. I made the point last week because one of the beautiful things about going through Advent intentionally, as we've been going through in this series, is that no matter whether or not you feel the Christmas spirit, whether or not you're having the emotions of the Christmas spirit and you feel like all the festivities of the Christmas, Christmas season are something that you really want to celebrate, Advent roots us in an intentionality about why this season is so important and what it is that we actually celebrate at Christmas. Advent, of course, the word itself means arrival. And so the biggest thing that we have to celebrate and the biggest thing that we celebrate during this season amongst all the other things, as great as all those other things are, is the fact that God has arrived, is the fact that God has come to us. And we look back at the first advent of Jesus 2,000 years ago, And we realize that he came to us and that he promised that he would come to us again. And so we also look forward to the second advent of Jesus. It grounds us once in the past and then looking forward, of course, to the future, which is something that's important in terms of what we're going to talk about today. Because as we've talked about through the first couple of weeks, when Jesus comes, he also brings with him all these wonderful blessings that we celebrate during the advent season as well. We know them as things like faith, peace, hope, joy, and love. And those are the themes of Advent that we're celebrating this season. We've already talked about faith. We've talked about peace. We've talked about how important those things are. Today, we're going to talk about hope. Now, we mentioned in our first couple weeks how faith and peace are something that almost everybody engages with in some way, and they're so important to the human existence that we actually use them in all kinds of different ways, no matter who you are. You have some idea of what faith is, and you have some idea of what peace is. And in fact, as we would say, as I would say, and I believe, Every person has some aspect of faith, and every person is looking for peace. But I think as we get into hope today, and I don't want to get into a place where we're like stack ranking these things as far as their importance goes, but I think as far as, as, far as what is essential, hope is probably one of the most essential parts of what it means to be a human being. 
Hope is so essential to the human experience that when we say that in situations when we're hopeless, there is this automatic feeling of darkness, there's this automatic feeling of uh, maybe a lack of existence, a lack of a feeling of existence in any meaningful way. Andy Crouch, I love when he talks about how essential hope is. This is one of my favorite quotes. It comes from Andy Crouch, who is an author. He says this, Human beings can live for 40 days without food, for four days without water, and for four minutes without air. But we cannot live for four seconds without hope. Now, I don't know if that statement has been scientifically validated in any way, but I would say that the general idea is true. Hope is absolutely essential to any meaningful aspect of human existence. And I think God made us this way. I think God made us as people who look forward in anticipation, who look forward in hope, whether it's five seconds into the future or whether it's an eternity and what that might look like. And when we think about what it means to have hope, one of the things that we, we, we are constantly asking questions about how the future hope, which hope by its nature is a, is a desire for a future reality, impacts us even in the present. So when you think about questions of hope, we ask questions like, what are we hoping for? And how sure is that thing that I'm hoping in? And then also, how does that hope of a future impact me right now? And so in that way, hope is actually a future reality, but it also impacts our present reality. It also has something to do with the past because our past informs our present and our future hope. Now think about it. Let's just take the thing that we're, thinking, we're all thinking about right now, of course, the pandemic. If we think about what would be a desired result for us, what is the hope? The hope is that one day we get to a place where we're out of this pandemic. And I don't know what the number is. Maybe there's some number that tells like under 1% of an infection rate. I don't know exactly what that, that sounds like something that somebody would say. So I'm just going to go with that. I don't know if that's officially like the end of a pandemic, but let's just say that's our goal number. We're trying to get to a place of less than 1% infection rate, right? And so one of the things that you hear throughout this discussion is where are our rates? Where are the infection rates? Where are our hospitalizations? Like we see those numbers all the time. Many of you are probably following them on a daily basis. And those things have to do with where we're at presently, how much hope we might have to get out of this thing soon, or is it going to take longer than where it is? And then we wait against what's come in the past. So we look at the numbers and how they've gone up and down over the past several months, and you might hear comments like it hasn't been this high or it hasn't been this low since June or April or whatever it may be. And that's an example of often how hope works. It's a future result, a desired result, based upon past and present. It all kind of flows together. Now, this future reality that impacts our present is also informed by our past. That's kind of how hope works, which is a big part of hope. But I think an even more important question that we are asking when it gets to biblical hope is this question. What exactly is it that we are hoping in? It's one thing to see how hope works across time, but what exactly is it that we are hoping in? And I think this is where the contrast between biblical hope and what we might call common hope exists. Common hope is basically the way that hope is typically used in many different ways. We hear it used all the time in different contexts and conversations. But common hope has more to do with the hope of the things that happen in this world and in this life, where biblical hope is different. It's distinct. It's special. And to help see that distinction, this morning we're going to walk through what I've put together as kind of a hope chart. And we're going to see this hope chart, and on the one hand, we're going to see what biblical hope is all about and see how it contrasts with what we might call common hope. And I think this will help us see more clearly why biblical hope is so special. Why is it that hope is something that we celebrate during this Advent time, and what difference does it make? 
So the first thing is this. First point of contrast is this. Biblical hope rests in certainty, while common hope is restless upon wishful thinking. Now, one of the most common ways that hope is used in our world is to refer, is in reference to something like wishful thinking. That we hope that a future reality might happen, or that it might not happen, and we're not sure when it will happen, or if it does happen, and if it does happen, is it going to be like how we want it to happen? So we hope for something, and even as we hope for something, we realize there's a good chance that it may or may not happen the way that we want it to turn out. That's wishful thinking. And with the pandemic, we might hope that we can just get back to normal, which is something that's not really that specific or remarkable. In fact, in a lot of ways, wishful thinking is very general, and it sets the bar, typically sets the bar kind of low, because we realize that things never, never really work out the way that we want them to all the time. And so when we're talking about it, even then, we may realize that it may or may not happen, even if we set the bar really low. And no one who relies on common hope comes to the reality of quite what the biblical hope promises us in confidence. I think most people for us, we'd be in a place where we would sign up for things to just return back to normal. And by that we mean like what things looked like in 2019. It was still bad, it just wasn't as bad. For a lot of us, we'd sign up for not as bad as it is right now, right? And yet the Bible promises an even more confident hope. Because even then, even then, even if we're wishing for not as bad as it currently is right now, that's still just wishful thinking. What happens if we get to a place where, for example, the vaccine works, right? Vaccine works for most people. We get to a place of herd immunity. The numbers drop to a place where we want them to be. We get out of the pandemic. And who's to say that the virus doesn't mutate, get worse, and then in a year or two be even worse than it is now? Nobody knows. Scientists, doctors, they don't know. So what happens to hope in that case? Is all hope gone? If it is or if it isn't, why or why not? Instead, consider how confident biblical hope is. Where common hope is kind of tossed around in restlessness based on what is happening around us, Listen to how confident biblical hope is. Notice that when the Bible talks about hope, it's much less about wishful thinking and much more about conviction and confidence. That biblical hope is sure to happen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So instead of hope being tied to wishes and what-ifs, notice again how sure biblical hope is. Hope is there almost pictured like an anchor. Hold fast to this biblical hope, the writer of Hebrews tells us. And it's almost like the stronger that we hold on to it and the more we hold on to it, the more sure that we are and confident that we are that biblical hope is actually true. And we never see common hope as something that we hold on to, especially in hopeless situations. When hopeless situations hit and when everything around us is telling us that it's hopeless, common hope fades away. But the beautiful thing about biblical hope is that it holds strong even in the midst of situations that look hopeless. Which brings us to our next point. Biblical hope lives by waiting and anticipation. While common hope often lives by mere optimism and just kind of making the best out of things. You know, along with the wishful thinking of common hope, are the feelings of optimism to try to make the best out of things in the way that they are. Optimism, or at least the feelings of optimism, are basically the oxygen of common hope. That we try to be 
as optimistic as possible, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being as optimistic as possible. We certainly should be that, but we, we probably know that optimism by itself is not enough to provide true hope. We can be the most optimistic people imaginable, but optimistic feelings don't provide the realities that we really hope for in our hearts and that we really need. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt completely hopeless? And a well-meaning person comes up to you and says, you know what you need? You just need to look on the bright side of things. You just need to feel a little bit more optimistic about your situation. How did that end up working out for you? Because it's all happened to us before, right? And I guess the other question is, how badly did you want to punch that person in the neck when they said that to you? I'm kidding. Never advocate for that. But here's the thing is that biblical hope, the surprising aspect about biblical hope is that it's not found in mere optimism, but it's found in waiting and in anticipation. Which makes sense, because if biblical hope is sure, and if biblical hope is confident, it's not a question of if something is going to happen that God says is going to happen. It's not a question of if biblical hope has substance, but it's a question merely of when. When is this going to happen? And that's why when you look throughout Scripture, what you see Biblical hope is often joined with this activity of waiting, with this activity of anticipation. That more than anything, our response to biblical hope is actually the activity of waiting. Listen to Psalm 130. It says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. So a hopeless situation. Yet, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. And my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says this, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that, is not seen, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. At the first advent, waiting and anticipation was the posture of God's people. When Jesus was born, it was about 400 years or so since the Israelites, since the Jewish people had heard from a prophet of God which was unprecedented because in, to that point, from the time that they were established under, under Moses as God's people, as the nation of Israel, God had all, always had a prophet or a priest that was there with his people speaking his word to his people. And Israel knew that as long as they had a representative from God, even when they were in exile, as long as they had a prophet with them, there was hope because God speaking to them, was God drawing them into relationship, was God encouraging them, was God giving them hope. But for 400 years, there had been no prophet leading up to the birth of Jesus. And so, in Israel's history, this is known as a, as a period of darkness. Because there was silence from God. Not only that, Israel was being oppressed by the brutal Roman Empire. And in many cases, there were people who had given up hope. Has God, and they were asking the question, has God given up on us? And yet there was a group of faithful people who remembered that 700 years before that, the prophets had predicted that God would do something during a time of darkness, just like they were experiencing. And what they saw is that not only did God send a prophet, 
Not only did God speak to them, but God Himself came to them in the person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9 is one of the chapters that we read a lot during this Advent season because it talks about the reality of this promise, the reality of this hope. And in verse 2, it talks about this darkness where, that has seen a great light. Isaiah 9 verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And if Israel was wondering when they heard those words from Isaiah, how they would know that this light has shined into the darkness, later on in this chapter, in verse 6, it says this, This is how you will know, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince and Pete, the Prince of Peace. It's in the darkness where God comes in the person of God. It's in the darkest time when the light comes in to shine the presence of God and the person of God into the history of the world. So biblical hope is not about being optimistic or making the best out of a bad situation. It's not about us creating hope in a hopeless situation. It's about waiting. It's about waiting for God to move and waiting for Him to fulfill His promises, waiting for God to come to us. It's about waiting for the light to come into the darkness. It's about waiting for hope for the hopeless. And it's about waiting for God's good and gracious plan to be unfolded into the world. Which brings us to our next point. Biblical hope depends on God's plans, while common hope often depends on a better version of our own plans. You know, many times people are convinced that if we can just plan better, if we were just wiser, if we saved more and spent less, if we just gain enough experience to learn how the world works and we work hard enough, we can provide the future that we want. If we fail, we're often convinced that the failure was due to the fact that we didn't plan well enough and we didn't work hard enough. And so we recommit to our own plans, maybe we retool them a little bit, and we, and we kind of plug them in like a formula, like that'll guarantee what I want for the future, what brings me ultimate hope. Now there's nothing wrong with a good plan, there's nothing wrong with hard work, but our plans don't bring about biblical hope according to the Bible. They're brought about in a very different way. Colossians chapter 1 verses 25 through 29 says this, this is Paul writing, and he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, in, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You know what Paul refers to as a mystery here that was hidden for ages is the plan that God works through human history. It's a new plan that looks different than the plans of the world. It often looks different than our own plans. During the time of the first advent, of course, if you were to ask the average Jewish person what they thought God's plan was going to be to liberate them, to deliver them, to fulfill his promises, they probably would have pointed to something like a political or military king who would come and set Israel free, make her a nation again, and maybe even oppress the Romans, turn the tables on the Romans. But instead, what happened is that God came to earth as a human being. And not just as a human being, but being born as a helpless baby to a young virgin woman 
in the barn of a no-name town. I mean, no one would have planned that for the creator of the universe. No one would have planned it to happen that way. No one would have planned salvation to happen that way. But this is the mystery of God's plan. It often happens in a way in which we don't expect, and yet it's full of true hope. And of these Advent blessings, hope is something that is given to us. Paul says this is the stewardship that I've been given, this mystery of the plan of God. And stewardship, of course, implies something that's given to us. It's not something that we invent. It's not something we manufacture. It's something that is given to us by the person of God. And so biblical hope is truth, while common hope is fiction. And maybe it's not so, when I talk about common hope being fictional, it's not so much that common hope doesn't exist, but it's fictional in the sense that it hasn't been and it can't be fully tested. It can't be guaranteed, and because of that, common hope often promises what it cannot deliver. What makes common hope so uncertain is that it is based on a future reality that no one even knows whether or not it's going to happen and nobody can bring about on their own to take place. Let's imagine for a second that you were omniscient, you knew all things, and that you were omnipotent, that you were all-powerful. You'd be like one, you'd be like the ability to fly away from being like a superhero, right? A complete superhero, right? But let's say you were all-knowing all, all and you were all-powerful. And you had a desired result for something to happen in three months, whatever that thing may be. You know what it's going to look like in three months, and you had the full power to make that thing happen. Do you realize that not even that is enough to bring about hope in terms of what the Bible is talking about? Because the one thing you would be lacking in that case would be wisdom and benevolence. In other words, fully good, that you would be fully good. You could be powerful, you could be all-knowing, but if you lack the ability to be fully good, then the hope or the thing that you provide even in the future, even if you have full control to provide it, would not be full, true biblical hope. Instead, what we see in the Bible is we see a God who is all-knowing, who is all-wise, who is all-powerful, and who is all-good. In Romans chapter 8, see how these things come together. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Only God can do that, omnipotent, fully powerful. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now notice, in this it talks about the brokenness and the groaning of creation. One of the things I love about this passage, it's one of the best chapters in all of Scripture, Romans chapter 8, by the way. It's rich, it's huge, it's, just, it's, it's thick, it's fantastic. But one of the things I love about this is Paul personifies creation. He talks about creation literally groaning under the weight and the burden of its own brokenness. And we see that 
everywhere, whether it's literal groaning or whether it's just the brokenness of everything that's around us at times. But there's something key that happens from verse 22 to verse 23, and Paul uses kind of a play on words where he says, there's this groaning under bondage of decay, and then he, and then he switches to what it looks like in biblical hope, from biblical hope's perspective. In verse 23, it says, we groan now inwardly for the redemption of our bodies. In other words, we look forward now to the hope. So the groaning is less about what's broken. The groaning is now, is now in terms of anticipation and waiting. That we wait for this wonderful promise that has been promised to us. That we wait for this hope that is full of substance and conviction. And because we know it's true, as Paul said, the first fruits of the Spirit are the guarantee that God is doing this in us. We groan for the full realization of that hope one day. And so as a result, one of the great things about this, the next point, is that biblical hope is personal while common hope is circumstantial. And when I say personal, I don't mean necessarily it's individual. Personal means person. It means we find hope in a person, not in a circumstance. One of the biggest defects to common hope is that it's primarily and solely circumstantial. In other words, it's all about circumstances. We can describe something that we might hope in, and as long as it's probably as long as it's in this world, it probably has to do with something in our world that is a circumstance that we wish would be better, that would look better, that would feel better. Again, for the Jews at the time of their first advent, their situation was being politically free. And neither of these, and, and these circumstances aren't bad to hope for necessarily. I mean, we could talk about the global pandemic and realize that circumstantially we hope that we get out of this because it would alleviate human suffering and all the rest. Those are good things. But biblical hope is not primarily about circumstances. Biblical hope is primarily relational. Biblical hope brings us to God. Hope that came to find us in a personal way. And Advent itself is intensely personal because at Advent we celebrate the fact that God has come to us personally. Romans chapter 5 verse 2 says this, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, look at that. Look how intensely personal that is. It's focused all on God, but then we know that hope doesn't disappoint because God has given us His Spirit, the very Spirit of God dwelling within us. What could be more personal and relational than that? And that is where our hope comes from. It's all oriented towards God. It makes me think also of what John says in Revelation chapter 21 when he talks about the fact that the new heavens and the new earth will need no sun because the glory and the presence of Jesus will light everything up. That his glory, his personal presence lights everything up. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Now when we read this, which is 
probably a familiar passage for many of us. The, the, the part that typically draws our attention is the part that talks about God wiping away every tear from our eyes, where there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more mourning or crying. I mean, there's a reason for that. It's a beautiful, beautiful promise. And it's a beautiful aspect of biblical hope. And you might say, well, that's also circumstantial, right? And it certainly is, but notice that before it's circumstantial, it's actually personal. Biblical hope is personal. In verse 3, it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. That's the heading of this. And the personal aspect of biblical hope then brings a beautiful circumstance with it as God dwells with us, that he will dwell with his people. And what matters is that God is dwelling with us for all eternity, and then all things are made new around us because God is with his people again. Which brings us to our final point. Biblical hope lives through death while common hope dies at death. You know, by its nature, since common hope is focused on the outcomes of this world, in life, in life, death brings all of those hopes to an end. Death is the ultimate dream killer, at least as common hope, at least as far as common hope goes. Common hope that roots itself in this world, common hope that roots itself in this life, where actually a lot of our hopes ultimately point to come to an end at death. And instead of dying at death, though, biblical hope actually thrives in death. It picks up steam. It actually finds its substance in death. Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the faith chapter because we see all of these accounts by the author of Hebrews of all of these faithful people who followed God, and they followed God to a place where they were often executed or thrown in prison or ended up in places where they found themselves stripped of their rights stripped of their freedoms, and they were people who lost, according to common hope, everything in this world. But Hebrews 11 frames it in this way, that the people who relied on this gave up their right to common hope so that they could grab hold of biblical hope. And what the author begins to describe them as is that this death that then they experience as exiles and strangers in this world gives them the biblical hope of realizing their homeland, the place that they were designed for, the place that they were saved to realize the substance of their hope. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says this. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now that city referred to here is the same city that we just saw John refer to in Revelation chapter 21. This is the holy and eternal city where God dwells with his people. That city is a city where every hope, every biblical hope is realized. Where everything that God has planned for good comes to fruition. And here's the thing, as we see here, hope comes through death. It may come through physical death, but it certainly comes through a place where the Bible, the Bible calls death to ourselves. As a result, we should say that although common hope wants to root us in this world, biblical hope roots us in the world to come with a new nature, a new calling, and a new identity. And because of the eternal, unshakable promises of God, we get a new perspective based on biblical hope. You know, when I was 19 years old, 
I became a Christian really for the first time, at least I believe. I grew up in, and I say that is because I grew up in church. I was baptized when I was 11 years old. I knew the Bible. I knew Jesus. I knew who Jesus was. I knew that Jesus died for my sins. But I also knew that as I grew up and grew up into kind of my teenage years, that there was something drastically missing from my Christian life. And I remember one of the things when I became a Christian at age 19, one of the first, well, actually the first verse that I memorized was Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You may know it. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the life that I now live in, in the flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I, was, I remember being so attracted to that verse because for me it hit on exactly what was missing from my Christian experience. I mean, consider that first line. We put that verse right back up there. Consider that first line right there that Paul writes. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. This points us to the reality that we, when we come to Christ, we die. And for a 19-year-old kid who had just become a Christian, like the extreme aspect of this really drew me in. And I realized that this was missing in my life, but I got to a place really where I didn't even understand how demanding and radical this really was. That when we see things like this, I've been crucified with Christ, and then Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm a dead man, essentially. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Then I started remembering how Jesus said things like, if you're going to come follow me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And I got to a place where I was so excited about that. But at age 19, I also thought that I had accomplished that. Because I came to a place where I confessed my sins, I repented, I placed my faith in Jesus, and I decided to follow him. So I was there, man. I've been crucified with Christ. I, it's no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. And there's a sense to which that was true. But there's also a sense to where, over the past 22 years, I've been figuring out what it means to die to myself every single day. That it didn't end when I was 19 years old. It continues 22 years later, day by day. And then I remember that Jesus said, when you pick up your cross, you pick up your cross daily and follow me. What I didn't realize at the time is that this call to die is a continual death to self. It's the way of the cross. It doesn't mean we just die once. We die daily to ourselves to take up the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is the way in which I am constantly dying to myself. I'm dying to my sin dying to my ways, my perspectives, my understandings, my rights, what I think I'm entitled to, and even to my own hopes. So the biblical hope will reign in my heart. I've been reminded about this throughout the past 22 years, and I think when we get to an Advent season, every time I get to an Advent season, I'm reminded of this over and over again. That when Jesus came, he came as the Christ child, as we sang earlier, he came in a manger so that he could go to the cross. The cross was always in view in terms of why Jesus came. He came to die. And in the same way, he calls us to die. And the hope of God rests, of course, and waits in the certain hand of an all-wise and all-powerful and an all-good God. It doesn't trust in circumstances that change from day to day and can't really hold the hopes of our hearts anyway. Instead, it trusts in the faithfulness of a God who has proven himself to be true, of a God who has proven himself to be good, of a God who has proven himself to love us in every situation. And the biggest reason that we know that hope 
is real during Advent is that God came to us. That God stayed with us by His Spirit and that God will come again to dwell with us for eternity. It's what we celebrate during this season. And whatever you're facing today, whatever difficulty, whatever struggle, whatever worry, whatever anxious thought you have, that cannot be taken away. There is nothing that can take the biblical hope of God away, no matter what you're facing here this morning. It's true, it is certain, it is good, it is eternal, and it is immensely personal. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate hope at Advent. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up and as we close this morning. We're going to pray together. And think about what it means to have true biblical hope given to us at Christmas. Father, we thank you that you have not left us alone. That even when we think about the fact that we are waiting for Jesus to come back, the wonderful promise that we just read, obviously, from Scripture is that the first fruits of your Spirit are with us. In other words, you have not left us alone. You have not left us as orphans, but you have, uh, but you have indwelt us by your very Spirit. And I pray that for those of us right now, as we are struggling to understand the substance of true biblical hope, that right now might be a dark time for us, we may be in the place where darkness seems to be all over the place, and we can't, no matter what we do, we can't find the light. We're told during this time that light has come into the darkness, and those words just fall flat because it doesn't seem to be real for us. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to not just, be, not just try to be optimistic, not just try to invent our own hope, not just try to look on the bright side of things, but to realize that the biblical hope that we have been promised in Scripture is real. And we can have the confident hope of knowing that it is a certainty. And when we question whether or not you see us, Lord, you love us, or you're here for us, or you're here with us, I pray that we would remember this Advent story. Not just about a child who came, but about a God who came to his people to prove that he is faithful, to prove that he is good, and to prove that he is love. And that that's the hope, and that that is the substance of our hope, that you are with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. So this week, I, I, I pray that you are filled with the biblical hope of God, that you know that you are loved, that you are seen, that God has promised good, and then in the end, no matter what we're facing, in the end, we've been given eternal hope because God has come to us. That's what we celebrate during Advent. May that resonate in your hearts this week as you move along, as you struggle through the week, as you face difficulties and you face burdens. 
This morning, uh, we want to encourage you as you leave this morning, we have a uh, table back there where the little trees are at, where you can grab one of our prayer request cards. If there's anything that you would like us to pray for, please fill out one of those cards. Maybe it's for you, it's for a, uh, a family member, for a friend, whatever it may be. If you would fill out the prayer request card, drop it in the offering stands as you leave here this morning. We make sure that we pray over those as a staff each week and as a prayer team. We have a team that prays over those things every week. And so we consider it a privilege to join with you in prayer. Hope you all have a great week. Uh, enjoy your week with your families, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.